seven, Stan Phillips. fans. Happy hump day to you. How you all doing? Well, after last night's game, you got to be doing pretty well. And today is an historic day here on New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. This is the first time ever, ever in 61 seasons can we say the Mets have won the first six games, first six series of the, of the year. Never, ever have the Mets won the first six series of any season. But last night, they beat the Cardinals, and guess what? The Mets won their sixth series in a row. Even though they go this afternoon with uh, the third game of the series, Carlos Carrasco versus Steven Matz, the Mets have now won six series in a row. And who was on fire yesterday? Chris Bassett. You know, after watching Chris Bassett yesterday, I'm beginning to think he may be as much a bulldog and a competitor and a straight shooter is Max Scherzer. Just watching him pitching on a postgame show. you got to love this guy. Oh, my goodness, is he great. Now, it was a dramatic win. And the Mets took care of business again on Tuesday. We beat the Redbirds 3 to nothing, And Chris Bassett had a battle through six innings his last time out. But he looked much more comfortable on the mound this time around. He dealt with some runners on base in the early innings, but he held the Redbirds to just two hits through the first four frames, mixing in his slow-breaking ball with a 94-mile-per-hour heater to keep the Cardinals off balance. Now, Bassett once again went six innings for the Mets, but he seemed to get better as he went along in this one, finishing with just two hits allowed, six strikeouts, and three walks and six shutout frames. Through four starts this season, Bassett's ERA now stands at 2.25. Now, Jordan Hicks, who may be the hardest thrower in all of Major League Baseball, kept the Mets quiet for the first two innings, but a Dominic Smith comebacker appeared to hit him in the right forearm. He got out of the inning, but it appeared to bother him in a third. Jeff McNeil hit a hustle double to lead off the inning, the Mets' first hit of the night. James McGann immediately followed that with a double of center just out of Harrison Bader's reach. And it's tough to put one out of Harrison Bader's reach so you know that James McCann really smoked the ball. And after a walk to Brandon Nimmo and another meeting with the coaches and trainers, Hicks, right, Hicks night came to an end. The right-hander went two innings and two runners on base. Andre Palante came in and allowed an RBI single to Starling Marte, but he limited damage there. The Mets led 2-0 through two and a half innings, with Hicks now out of the game. McCann had three hits on the night. Now, it's no secret that McCann had struggled to play in the early going this year, but he really came alive yesterday. And with a home run Friday night in Arizona and a multi-hit night Tuesday, perhaps the tide is starting to turn. And just like Francisco Lindor, maybe we're starting to see the real James McCann. Now, Marte also had a multi-hit game, his fifth of the season. Now, in the top of the eighth inning, Pete Alonso was hit by a Cody Whitley pitch in the helmet, and things were turning ugly. Alonso and Buck Schultz were 
both angered by the hit, and the Mets came to the top step of the dugout. But cooler heads thankfully prevailed. You don't want to see anyone getting hurt. And it was the second time this season Alonzo had been hitting a helmet. And he was the 17th Met hitter to be hit by a pitch in 19 games so far this season. And I don't know if you saw Mad Max in the dugout. He was really giving it to him. Oh, my goodness. Max Scherzer is a leader. You talk about captains. We could have two captains in Scherzer and Bassett, and they're both pitchers. Now, at the top of the ninth, Marte was hitting the elbow, but was with the bases loaded, which would have seemed to make it accidental as it forced in the Mets' third run of the game. Now, following Bassett, Drew Smith pitched a scoreless seventh inning, and Adam Adovito followed suit in the eighth. With three-run lead in the ninth, Edwin Diaz came in and walked the leadoff fan, Dylan Carlson, but he managed to shut the door for a save. And like I said, for the first time in franchise history, the Mets have won their first six series of the season. What a start by the Metropolitans. Now, one of the hot topics coming off of last night's game is all the Mets getting hit by pitchers. Uh, the Mets have had more batters hit by pitchers than any other team in baseball. And they've had their share of especially scary incidents of batters being hit in the head area. On Tuesday night, it happened again. Like I said, in the top of the eighth against the Cards, with the Mets up 2-0 in the game, they'd eventually win 3-0. Pete Alonso was drilled by a Cody Whitley pitch in the helmet. The second time this season that's happened to him. Alonso ducked out of the way, and his helmet was slightly off his head when the ball made contact. But it got the Mets dugout manager, Buck Showalter included, up in arms. Alonzo's hit-by-pitch was the 17th instance by a Met this season, and Starling Marte became the 18th when he was hit with the bases loaded to force him to run the next inning. It's a problem that the Mets have in general, and I think Buck Schroeder into Major League Baseball. It's a concern for the Mets. Uh, now, a lot of people are saying that the pitchers just aren't getting the grip on the baseball and are blaming on the baseball. But is it just the baseball, or is it just pitchers just being wild? Who knows? But all I can tell you is that the Mets are getting a lot of balls in the head and neck area, and that's just not good, not good. Sooner or later, someone's not going to survive something like this and end up with a serious injury. Now, you care about your players like the Mets do, and... It's not easy for me to just hear, sit here and criticize or think I know it all about what's right or what's wrong. But it, it does get to a point where I guess where the Mets have to really be concerned about the safety of their players. Uh, and thank God for these batting helmets. Because this pitch broke Alonzo's helmet. And uh, when that happens, that comes into the scary part of things. Now, according to Showalter, uh, all... Alonzo passed all the concussion testing on Tuesday night, but he'll probably get the day off on Wednesday afternoon. Meanwhile, like I said, Chris Bassett, unbelievable. What an acquisition. He had a fantastic night going six shutout innings, allowing just two hits. But even he didn't hold back about his teammates getting hit in the state of the baseball has been used this season throughout the game. And he even said it's extremely annoying to see your teammates get hit. If you get hit by certain pitches, it is what it is. But to get hit in the head, the amount that we're getting, it's unbelievable. 
There were some close calls last night, and uh, even Bassett said he was hit in the face by a line drive and didn't want that to happen to anybody. But he thinks baseball has a big problem with the baseballs. He thinks they're bad. Everyone in the league knows it. Every pitcher knows it. He said they're bad and they don't care. Bassett said MLB doesn't give a damn about it. They don't care. We've told our problems with them. They just don't care. Now, Showalter has previously made a point to advocate for a universal substance pitcher can use to improve their grip. And Bassett was asked about that as a possibility on Tuesday as well. And Bassett came out and said bluntly, there's a million things we suggest. I won't go into that. There's a million things we've suggested to not hurt offense. I know that's why they want nothing on the balls for offense. And there's ways to do that, and they don't want to do that. It's too easy to fix, to constantly get guys hitting the head and over and over and not do anything about it. Uh, basically, he summed it up by saying, how long can we let that happen? And even Jane McCann, who's a catcher, and had a pretty good night, is coming alive a little bit with the bat, says... There's enough technology out there to figure out the baseballs. Uh, McCann went on to say that as far as I'm concerned, put an on-deck circle between the mound, give them a pine tar rag and the sunscreen, and rosin and let them use that stick. That stuff has proven that it's not going to prove somebody's arsenal. It's going to give them grip. Now, if you want to talk about spider tack and all this other stuff, yeah, get that out of the game. I agree with that, but give them an on-deck circle just like the hitters have. Let them have a grip on baseball. And I think they do need a grip on baseball before people get hurt. And uh, I'm all for that one on that one. What I'm not all for is uh, constantly giving Robbie Cano uh, chances. And uh, I hate to say this, but I think Robbie may be at the end of the line. Maybe steroids were the issue. Because he's not only not hitting, but he's not hitting the ball with any authority. Uh, and to be honest with you, what with the Mets with high aspirations, they can't keep putting him out there and winning despite of him. And uh, he went 0 for 4 last night. And uh, even in the middle of the Mets' big ninth inning rally the other day, Monday, he even flew out weekly. So he wasn't even part of the party. Now, before that flyout, Cano, who ended Monday night hitting 184, 225, 263. One extra, one extra base hit and 40 plate appearances. He grounded out to first. And uh, he didn't look good doing that. He popped out to the pitcher and grounded out to short. So he's hitting like a pitcher. I mean, he's really not even hitting with any authority. <clears throat> and to be honest, in the grand scheme of things, it's still relatively early in the Mets season. But when it comes to 39-year-old Cano, uh, who is back after serving a one-year suspension in 2021 following his second positive PED test. It is getting kind of late. Uh, we're at a spring training, so these are real games and they count. Now, it's not uncommon for players to struggle early before turning it on in May. And that's true. An early season slump is often viewed as worse than one that happens in the middle of the season. And Cano looking this way early on does not necessarily mean he'll never again resemble the hitter whose uh, sweet swing translated to his success as early as 2020 when he slashed 316, 352, 554, and 49 games during the shortened season. But it's fair to wonder how much of Cano's performance in 2020 was aided by PEDs. 
because he just doesn't look like the same header up there. And I guess it's also fair to wonder how much longer the Mets should continue to give Cano, who has curiously been hitting sixth ahead of productive hitters Mark Hanha and Jeff McNeil, regular at-bats. So I don't think Buck is going to play this game much longer. Uh, it could be argued that Cano's regular playing time, at least for now, should be taken away immediately. A team with championship aspirations has to be proactive. This has not been a case of early season bad luck for Cano. He has looked mostly lost to play constantly behind the count, uh, looking slow, flailing at pitches way out of his zone, and hardly ever driving the ball. And the advanced numbers should point a blank picture. His line drive rate, line drive rate is 13.8%, down 29.7% in 2020. His career line drive rate is 23.7%. So that's a big, drastic drop so far. And average is one thing, but when you're not hitting the ball hard, that's another. Uh, and just two of Cano's hits have hit, reached the outfield this year. All but one, an infield hit second base, have been hit the other way. He simply is not getting around on pitches. And that slow bat we talked about earlier, it's not a mirage. He's hitting 400 against all three pitches, but just 176 against fastballs and 133 against breaking balls. And in this day and age, almost everyone can hit the fastball, except maybe if you just can't get around on it anymore. And if Cano did other things well, perhaps it would make sense for the Mets to continue giving him regular playing time with the hope that he breaks out at the plate. But at this point in his career, Cano's range at second base is severely diminished. Um, he is not that good defensively, and his sprint speed is not that good. So there really isn't much positive to say about Robbie at this point. Uh, if they didn't have to use him regular DH instead of Cano, I mean, if they had other options, which they do, there really is no need to put Cano out there and uh, designate a hitter land. The Mets have Dominic Smith and J.D. Davis, who are way better hitters than Cano. And they should be in the lineup over him. So where do you put Cano? I don't know. Where do you go? I don't know. Uh, the elf in the room here is, of course, Cano's salary, with him earning $20 million from the Mets this season and another $20 million in 2023. Now, barring a third positive PED test or a buyout that's worked out between Cano and the Mets, they will be on the hook for that money, but at what point does accepting it as a sunk cost make sense? Does it make more sense for the Mets to keep using Cano regularly because of his high salary, dealing with substandard results for the sake of it? Or does it make more sense for them to bench him in spite of that high salary? Uh, it appears to be it's clearly the latter. Again, this is not a call for the Mets to release Cano at this point, and it would not be a bit of a shock, though, if they did. Rather, this is a call for the Mets to understand, at least for now, the other players should be in the lineup over Cano, who would be on the bench instead of the starting nine. From there, he can continue to be a leader and perhaps take on a bigger on-field role again at some point during the end of the road. But right now, things just aren't working well for Robbie Cano. And the Mets do have to make a decision on this. Now, there does seem to be some confusion over uh, Jacob deGrom and his returning. The news may not be as good as we all thought originally. Uh, 
DeGrom is anxious to rejoin the Mets. And the Mets, in revealing details of his conversation with Jacob DeGrom on Tuesday, uh, kind of gave a cloudy picture. They really didn't get into specifics of when the Mets' ace might start throwing again. And the team announced Monday that DeGrom was clear to begin strengthening and loading his right shoulder after an MRI exam and CAT scan showed considerable healing of the stress reaction of his right scapula. DeGrom is upbeat and he's excited about the news and healing process that is taking place. And I guess at this point when you've had that long, you have a lot of imaging that you compare it to. So he is chomping at the bit because he's ready to go and he does want to become a part of it too. Uh, DeGrom will remain in Florida during his strengthening and loading of the shoulder and come to New York for workouts when he, once he can resume throwing. Uh, the Mets indicated that Grom will receive further imaging tests in three weeks. The Mets signed veteran Tom reliever Tommy Hunter to a minor league contract. Hunter, who was with us last year, uh, is 35 and spent the season with the Mets before a back injury sent him to the injured list. He was traded to the Rays in a deal that yielded Rich Hill. Now, Buck is familiar with Hill Hunter as he managed him in 2011-2015. Uh, Buck basically said they're going to give a Hunter an opportunity. He'll have to take it and run with it. He's got a big arm. He's not scared. He'll throw it over. And he's very competitive nature-wise on the mound. And uh, he's just a good guy to have on the club, I guess. Now, Trevor May may be the reliever the Mets are looking most to get back on track. May allowed two runs in the eighth inning Monday following an appearance in Arizona in which he surrendered a two-run homer. Now, entering Tuesday, the right-hander had surrounded runs had surrendered runs in four of his six appearances this season, and he owned an 8.53 ERA. And you can really see that his command is off, but he is throwing the ball hard. Uh, sometimes you want something too much, and it, he could be over-trying. Uh, he just doesn't seem to be in the flow right now. And it's almost like he's trying too hard and wants it too much. So hopefully in time, everything will work out for Trevor May. Now, during the offseason, do you ever think we'd be having a year like we're having now? Uh, so much speculation in the offseason. The Mets wanted to splash names like Chris Bryan and Kyle Schwarber. Uh, but the Mets front office chose Eduardo Escobar, Starling Marte, and Mark Hanha. And boy, did they make the right decisions. I mean, Brian and Schwarber may be better talented-wise, but these free agent additions of Escobar, Marte, and Kanha have come to embody the Mets who lead the Mets in victories. I mean, the MLB in victories after Tuesday's 3-0 shutout against the Cards. These guys are just well-rounded athletes. They appear smart, athletic, determined, and disciplined. Uh, and these are attributes that may not have been as pronounced within the clubhouse in recent seasons. So the Mets are very, very happy to see that. Of course, it's still going to take time for the Mets to establish their true identity, but you could see it in the formative stages. And the Mets have other leaders on the ball club, Alonzo, Nimmo, Scherzer, Bassett. I mean, such great characters. <laughs> on this team. And speaking of her, Scherzer, he has been every bit the horse the Mets thought they were getting for $130 million. 
And it seems like everybody's falling in place after him. So it's the old trickle-down effect. I mean, I think Max is giving them a good influence to follow and really taking the course. And it is so good to see. And every night the Mets go out there, it seems like they're winning games in a different fashion and different people are leading the way. And that is a sign of a special team. Uh, you don't know what it is exactly. It's some type of X factor, swagger, gumption, whatever you want to call it. It just seems interesting that everyone is coming through in big ways, except like for Robbie Cano, who we mentioned before, and I don't mean to beat on him with a dead stick, but everyone else, it seems like is coming up through and, uh, breaking out and having a great year. And especially Francisco Endor. And even Jeff McNeil, his tantrums in the past years have vanished. He's mellowed out, and he's just being a product of a solid start at the plate. Uh, and maybe Buck Showalter has something to do with that. Who knows? Maybe he let McNeil know the law that you can't be an outlaw. You have to be a team player. And the players aren't pressing, and that's a good thing. Uh, and let's not forget, Billy Epler and Sandy Alderson had a lot to do with the building of this team. I mean, just Escobar alone, he's one a great guy to be around. You can see that. Uh, but again, it's only April. The bullpen is evolving, and as well as Tyler McGill, Carrasco, and Peterson have pitched. Let's see more of it before we determine they could be dependable pieces as the season progresses. I don't mean to be a negative Nelly, but you just have to give it time and see what transpires. Anyone could be off to a hot start. But I'm not complaining. These guys are doing a great job so far. And uh, this could be a team that at the end of the year, right now, it's looking this could be one of those teams we talk about forever very highly. Now it's time to talk about all the Met birthdays and uh, transactions and Met history on this date. Happy birthday to Rogers Hornsby, born in 1896. Now wait a minute. You're probably saying to yourself, Stan, Rogers Hornsby? Yes, Rogers Hornsby. He was a Met coach in 1962, one of the greatest hitters of all time, Rogers Hornsby. He would be, if he were still alive today, 126 years old. Happy birthday to Brian Giles, born in 1960. Happy birthday to Bob McDonald, born this date in 1965. Happy birthday to Eric Hillman, born this date in 1966. Happy birthday to Frank Catalanato, born this date in 1974. Happy birthday to Orber Moreno, born this date in 1977. And happy birthday to J.D. Davis, born this date in 1993. Now, as far as transactions are concerned, on this date, the Mets signed free agent Yogi Berra in 1965. And Yogi is also a Met legend. Guided us to the 73 World Series as a manager. And on this date in 1977, the Mets sold Louis Alvarado to the Detroit Tigers. And on this date in 2018, the Mets claimed Buddy Bauman on waivers from the San Diego Padres. Who remembers that? Now it's time to talk about the greatest baseball group there is on Facebook regarding the New York Mets. Next, New York Mets baseball way of life. If you're on Facebook and are not a member of this group, what are you waiting for? Great content on that site 
every day, great contributors, and it's, I like to call it the best place for the intelligent Met fan to hang. Uh, no whining and moaning, we talk serious Met baseball on there. So if you're not a member, please do join. Now here's today's Met Final Jeopardy. Two clues, purchased by the New York Mets from the Detroit Tigers on February 25th, 1977, and he wore number 19 as a Met. The trivia question is, what future all-star closer was traded to the Expos with Dan Norman for Ellis Valentine in May of 1981? We'll be back at the end of the podcast to let you know the correct answers for both the Jeopardy and the trivia. Oh, and by the way, if you are listening to this podcast and aren't a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Subscribe and you'll be alerted every time one is uploaded on your favorite carrier. So check it out and you'll know right away. Almost every day we do one, so check one out as soon as it's ready if you subscribe. And if you ever need to reach me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Now, what's going on in the group? Well, we quoted uh, Tim McCarver, who said, Tom Seaver with the Mets is like Henry Aaron with the Braves, Nolan Ryan with the Astros and Rangers, and Bob Gibson with the Cardinals. He's Tom Seaver of the Mets. Drop and drive. 300 game winner. You're looking at a Hall of Famer. Then we noted that Al Leiter pitched the Mets' first game back after 9-11 in 2001 when they were in Pittsburgh. He allowed just one run over seven innings in a 4-1 victory. Ray Ordonez also provided some nice defensive plays in the outfield. In the infield, I should say. So Al came up big. A lot of people were stinging after what happened in 9-11. But Al rose to the occasion again like he's done on so many times in my history. Then we saluted Jay Payton and all he did as a Met. He was a fun player. Uh, And then we also noted that uh, on July 5th, 1963, Duke Snyder is up at bat in the second inning against the Pirates starter Don Cardwall. The Duke would go down on strikes while the Mets would struggle at the plate with just five hits on the day in a 3-1 to one loss at pole grounds against the Mets, uh, Buccos, I should say. And then Mike Freed noted that uh, prospect Marcel Renteria suffered a torn ACL on his right knee during the recent ball between A Binghamton and Portland. Just goes to show, never, ever, ever get into one of those baseball fights. You cannot win. Now, here's a list of the Met pitchers who struck out 20 or more batters while allowing no more than three hits in a two-start span. That's pretty impressive. Four pitchers did it. Nolan Ryan in 1970, El Cid in 1985, R.A. Dickey in 2012, and Mad Max in 2022. Then we also noted that only four teams in Met history have won at least 13 of their first 18 games. The 86 Mets and 2015 Mets were both 14 and 4, and the 18 Mets and the 22 Mets are 13 and 5. Now, recent Mets with at least 10 strikeouts and one hit allowed. 
Uh, Max Scherzer this year, DeGrom in 21, DeGrom in 15, Matt Harvey twice in 2013, R.A. Dickey twice in 2012, and good old John Main in 2007. And did you know that Max Scherzer became the second pitcher in Met history with back-to-back games at least 10 strikeouts and two or few who two or fewer hits allowed. And R.A. Dickey was the other in 2012. Well, that's some of the good stuff we're talking about in the group today. Uh, so check us out. Now as we end every podcast and we'll get into that time, it's time to reveal the Met Trivia and Jeopardy questions of the day and what their correct answers are. So did you write in your answers? I hope you did. Here's the trivia question. Which future All-Star closer was traded to the Expos with Dan Norman for Ellis Valentine in May of 1981? Well, the correct answer is Jeff Reardon. Congrats to our good buddy John Tierney on being the first to submit the correct answer. And then we had two clues in Jeopardy. Purchased by the New York Mets from the Detroit Tigers on February 25th, 1977. And he wore number 19 as a Met. Who is it? Well, it is... Louis Alvarado, and congratulations to John Tierney on being the first to submit the correct response there. Good job, guys. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more trivia. And just as important, we'll be back to recap Game 3 of the Cardinal Mets series. Steve Metz going against uh, Carlos Carrasco. Be good to see Steve again, won't it? But we don't want him to win, do we? We want a Met win. We want a sweep. Get the brooms out before we come back home and play Philadelphia. And play Philadelphia. That's it for today. Enjoy the beautiful day. Happy hump day to you. And let's go Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets.